Welcome to the Praying and Slaying Podcast, a Light the Fire Outdoors production, where meatheads Aaron and John take you through a day in the life of the Praying and Slaying lifestyle. Without further ado, here's the next episode of the Praying and Slaying Podcast. All right, guys, well, we got a new guest on today and actually going to be a new host for us, too, at the Praying and Slaying Podcast. His name is Jeremy Chavilicek, and... Uh, to kind of kick this off, we're going to, we both just got back from a really awesome hunt down in New Mexico with the guys from Tacticam for a hunt that Jeremy actually won. So really, really cool opportunity and a cool story to just kick this whole thing off. So I'm going to let Jeremy intro himself a little bit, and then we'll get into the story of Jeremy's Tacticam Platinum team level hunt. Well, thanks, Aaron. So yeah, like Aaron said, I'm Jeremy Chavilicek. I live in Ennis, Montana, and I love to hunt and fish and and uh, do all the outdoor things that every everybody does. And uh, uh, yeah, I grew up here in Montana and I've been uh, hunting and fishing as long as I can remember and uh, was blessed enough to go with uh, with Aaron and a bunch of the guys from Tacticam on a hunt in New Mexico. So, so what do you, so what, before we got to New Mexico, I mean, you had to earn that trip. And uh, Jeremy and I have had a cool opportunity to work together at Tacticam in some different capacities over the years. Uh, started off with the team stuff and then uh, moved into more of a sales type role. So what did you have to do to, to win this hunt? Because you, you were the sole recipient of a New Mexico elk tag this year for your efforts. Sure. So, yeah. So basically, I just had to take and uh, live and breathe Tacticam, it felt like, for a little <laughs> while. <laughs> uh, you know, I think my wife called me a little bit crazy a few times there. Um, it all started in 2019. Actually, it started in 2018 and in, in about August. And, and we were talking on our team page about some things that could be improved. And I kind of went on a little bit of a rant, which I sometimes do. And, and, uh, <laughs> posted my opinion of a few things and then my team leader uh, uh, gave me a call at that time and said hey I want to help you do whatever you can and I said well let's do it so we started out fresh on on uh, 2019 or no 20 let's see 20 yeah 2019 was it yeah because last year yeah so tw- 2019 the spring we started fresh and so basically Tacticam has got its uh a team system that you can earn points and you can uh, attend different events to earn points. So uh, January of 2019, I started at the great Rocky sports show in Billings, Montana and started. uh, We had a booth there and we were selling Tacticam cameras and I was there with a fellow teammate, uh, Megan Thrash. And we started out just, just selling cameras at that point. Nobody in Montana knew what the heck a, uh, uh, Tacticam was. <laughs> um, it also was not legal to have a Tacticam mounted to your bow. Um, it was legal on rifles, I believe, but, yeah. but uh, no elect- Montana had a clause, no electronics on your bow. So, um, so I started out and, and, and by doing this sales event, I earned some points and basically you can, you can uh, work a, a sports show you can go to banquets or you can work with dealers and, and do sales days to, to hit the, uh, the goals and each level, you know, there's bronze, silver, platinum or bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And each level has different rewards and points and stuff like that. And the, the ultimate prize was the platinum prize, 
which was a uh, uh, big game hunt, all expense paid, all inclusive big game hunt. So I said, well, shoot, I want to win that hunt. And so I started uh, at that time calling my team leader and then calling Aaron, the, the sales guy, about three or four times a week, bugging the heck out of them, <laughs> saying, what, what can we do to hit platinum? And, and that started the hashtag road to platinum. Um, and uh, so we ended up lining up a bunch of events. I think I did. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but at the end of it, we calculated it. I spent, I don't remember, 15 or 20 days uh, doing different events and, and banquets with TACCAM. And I think I had like 3,200 miles across the state of Montana to make that happen. <laughs> uh, so, definitely awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely awesome. We almost drove that far to New Mexico or half that far to New Mexico. I was say, yeah, about, yeah. About. But, uh, but yeah, so long story short, we took and, and, uh, you know, uh, I ended up getting the, the hardest part was having dealers hit their sales goals. And I had the third dealer hit their sales goal. Uh, right before uh, Christmas and 2019. And so I think it might've been Christmas day at 20, 2019, Aaron called me up and said, how do you like a, how would you like a, a fully guided elk hunt for your platinum prize? And I said, heck yeah, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> so, so that's what started the trip to New Mexico, I guess. Yeah, man. No, definitely. And it was a, a huge effort for sure. And, um, you know, just looking back on it. So I helped design that team program and, and build it. And we actually, the last year I was doing that before I moved to the sales department, we designed that whole tiered system and it was designed to uh, allow team members to basically earn what they wanted out of that program, you know, all the way up and into and even exceeding some of these big game hunt opportunities. And yeah, Jeremy was the only guy uh, who hit that platinum level and it's all hinged on different requirements and a combination of different types of participation. But yeah, you, you knocked it out of the park, man. It was definitely a cool opportunity to, to work with you and Justin Wilson on just the coordination of it and making sure, you know, we all had our ducks in a row to make sure that the events happened and, and uh, working with dealers and definitely a really cool opportunity. And I don't think there's a better guy out there that I've met yet or a harder working guy that, um, earn the earn the crap out of that thing that was sweet and uh yeah i was telling there was other team members uh i don't think i told you about but they're you know hold me like dude what do i got to do to to get the platinum and this and that and i said you're not gonna outcompete jeremy <laughs> like there's just no way you can you know and it, it's not you know and the way that program was set up it's you know you can put all the effort you know that you can into it and that's definitely needed but uh you know there's there's other technicality factors that go into it as well which put the icing on the cake so definitely um yeah, cool, cool thing, and it was it was really neat because we had launched that program for the first time, and you not you, you achieved that highest level goal the first year, which was really cool to see. And uh, nobody hit it this year. We had one guy do a video style platinum. It's a little bit different than what you did, but uh, yeah, as far as you know, the actual dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, you were like the first platinum. It's like the Eagle Scouts of uh, <laughs> the Eagle Scout <laughs> level of the Tacticam team, basically. So. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a great time, and I really appreciate that you helping me, you and Justin Wilson helping me get there because uh, I couldn't have done it without a team effort for sure. But uh, yeah, it took a lot of work, and I am fiercely competitive, so that kind of <laughs> kind of took and helped helped out for sure. So. Absolutely. Well, so then you know we fast forward uh, through this year because you took a different role into uh, you're actually a team leader now, so you took uh, Justin Wilson's position 
um, when he moved as team leaders, now you coordinate and manage those team members to help them kind of work towards that same goal. Um, so anyway, you didn't have to travel 3,200 miles around the state to hit the different goals as a team leader. You know, it's like the, uh, the American dream work, work less, earn more or whatever it is. I don't know if you work less, but different, different level of the team program for sure. And uh, yeah. so a lot less coordination this year went into that, but then we go all the way to Christmas day night. And uh, so Jeremy and I, we went out on, I got, I got invited later in the year um, by Jeff, the owner of Tacticam. And uh, he said, Hey, well, you know, how would you like to go on this hunt that you helped Jeremy achieve? And I said, let me ask my wife real quick. Yes, it's, it's happening. I'm coming. So uh, anyway, so yeah, we got a, it was really cool to be able to travel down there with you and spend some time with you in camp. But yeah, it started what Christmas night. We buzzed out of, you know, yeah. I live in Great Falls, Montana. You live in Ennis, Montana. So it's an even three hour drive for the both of us, about three and a half, I guess, for me to, uh, to Billings where we dropped your truck off um, and headed out. So yeah, but we have a, a 12 hour drive from Billings to New Mexico. Yep, 12-hour drive from Billings to New Mexico. I think we got uh, uh, ended up leaving Billings pretty close to 11 o'clock p.m., drove through the night, um, if I remember right. Tried to, yeah. tried to uh, or, or we did avoid all the mule deer in Wyoming that were in the middle of the interstate. High <laughs> beams are a good thing in Wyoming at night, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, we ended up talking till the wee hours of the morning, and then finally I was able to get a little shut-eye, and, then, uh, then we woke up the morning, or well, I woke up the morning of the twenty fifth. <laughs> Luckily, hopefully, Aaron didn't fall asleep. Well, we well, didn't that, end up in the ditch anyway. So. No, no. Well, between the the wind pulling the truck around and a Red Bull and a bag of sunflower seeds, we made it. What uh, we made it through Denver, just outside yeah, of Denver. Right? We finally switched. Yeah, I think it was right outside of Denver. We switched, and and I ended up driving, and then. Aaron ended up sleeping and, and I just wanted uh, to stay awake to see the Broncos stadium again. You, what's that? You, you stayed awake for the Broncos or you I, were... had to, I had to stay awake. That was my goal. I've got to, I've got to, I'm going to see mile high stadium before I go to sleep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then we ended up going through, uh, Colorado into Northern New Mexico and, uh, rolled in at about 1115 to Taos, New Mexico. If I said that right, I so. or if I said wrong, it's, that's fine too. Cows. Like coos, cows, coos, yeah. cows, tails, tails. Cows. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that would make sense. Yeah. So, um, and we met up with uh, with other guys from Tacticam. Uh, uh, Jeff Peel, the owner, his wife Tara, their two kids, and uh, Ben Stern, the guy who actually invented the Tacticam way back when. Mm-hmm. Um. And so then we took and uh, met up with our guide. That was kind of an interesting experience. There's some interesting uh, COVID restrictions in New Mexico going on. Well, yeah, just um, for, for anybody who's listening, if you're not from New Mexico, and, and I think it was actually a local ordinance. I don't know that it's statewide. I'd have to look into it more, even though I don't want to. Um, yeah, $500 fine if you're caught outside without wearing a mask, apparently. We, none yeah, of us got fined or didn't have masks on, but that's another story. So, Yeah. So hopefully we don't end up getting a getting <laughs> present from the city of Taos, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, uh, mail here in the next few days that says, "Here's your fine for not wearing your mask." So yeah. Uh, so then we met up. We took and we got our uh, got our our tags for duplicate. So we bought our tags. I don't know about you, but I bought my tag late enough that it didn't have a. Uh, uh, 
it, it, it gave me a notification that if we, um, if they mailed the tag, it wouldn't arrive in time. So it suggested yeah. doing an e-tag, but then we got to Taos and talked to our, uh, outfitter and he said, uh, we don't really have service on the ranch. So, um, we should see if we can get a duplicate tag if we, if we want. And some of the other people needed to get the duplicate tag anyway. So mm-hmm. we went to duplicate tag and that took about an hour, hour and a half. It was a little bit of a, a little bit of a slow process there yeah. at the local grocery store. Um, but we did that and then we saddled up and, and, uh, uh, filled up the, the vehicles with fuel one last time. And we had, 70 miles to to hunting camp mm-hmm. so so then we we drove through hunting camp or we got on off the main highway there after about i don't know 50 55 miles quite a ways and uh got on some some dirt roads that were a little bit snow covered so got to use the four-wheel drive um <laughs> didn't need to, but got to <laughs> put it in for super uh, safety yeah yeah, super safe. We didn't want to go that far and end up in the ditch after all. Well, that exactly. So when you got uh, the only so dodging camp, you don't want to be towed out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is the truth. That is the truth. So didn't didn't the guide have a dodge though? It wasn't the retrieval truck a dodge. Oh, you know what? It was. Yeah, and that's what he was driving. Was yeah. Never mind. I stand corrected. And and. Uh, and uh, Mateo, your guide had a Dodge. He too. did. Yeah, I was. I was glad. I would. I wouldn't rather shoot my elk from a different truck than a Dodge. You know, when it's all said and done, I was glad that it was a yeah. had the Ram symbol on it. Well, that's good. That's good. So, and, you know, I think it. I think it brought us some luck because we got into got into camp. We shot some guns and then uh, hung out for the rest of the day. And then day one started. Yeah, day one started. We got up early, and. Uh, and had some coffee and we're off to the races. So, so why don't you tell us what happened on your day one? Cause your day one was way more exciting than our day <laughs> one. Yeah. So it couldn't have been lucky enough. Actually, uh, day one was uh, fast and furious for sure. Like Jeremy said, we got up, drank coffee, kind of got a game plan together and the guides divvied us all up into groups. And I was the only guy that went out solo, so to speak with a guide one-on-one and, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better guide. I mean, heck, we went around. We So basically, we got in the pickups. We're going to drive out to an area where we're going to glass and kind of start hunting. And on the way to that spot, around the very first bend in the road, we ran into a nice six-point bull standing right on the timber line. He had a couple cows and a raghorn with him. And so we we you know stopped the truck, glassed him. The guide's like, yep, that's a good bull. He's a shooter. Let's get out. So we actually went on about, a I don't know, probably 300-yard or so, maybe a little bit further stock from the pickup to go out and into this timber patch and then come out of it into the clearing where he was to try to get a shot. And the bull uh, was still standing right where, right about where we had last seen him, which was perfect. Um, I was kind of afraid we were going to bust him because that snow was just super dry and crunchy, but um, we must've played it just right. Anyway, we got about 250 yards from that bull and uh, had a couple shooting options. I could have leaned up against one of two trees um, from the better tree the bull was blocked. There was a cedar. All you could see was his horns. A cedar completely covered his body. And then from the other tree, it was coming out at like a 45 degree angle out of the ground, leaning back towards us. And it just, for his, you know, I'm six foot tall. So trying to squat and bend between the branches and get the gun rested. I barely, I did get some FTS footage of him. And you'll see that when we put together the video of this hunt. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was as he started, he had had enough and he knew we were there and he just kind of trotted off into the timber to disappear forever. So, um, didn't end up making the shot happen, but it was really cool getting that first stock, got the blood boiling. Um, I actually dropped my 5.0 wide in the snow back there and didn't realize it till later, but I was filming, you know, kind of the guy leading the charge and everything. So we get back to the pickup and we round a different bend. And uh, from the direction all the other hunters were, I mean, they're just, this ranch is absolutely incredible. And I, I really, to those guys that don't run it, uh, they're at Wind Mountain. I hope that they have that in their family forever because it's a really special place. But just, I mean, literally thousands of elk. We're, you know, spotting a group of 200 here, 300 there, 400 over here. And, you know, we're all looking and looking and looking. So all of them were a little far off out in these sage flats. We couldn't really make any stocks happen. We didn't really see any shooter bulls out there from the ones we were looking at. And we end up kind of winding back up through some more timber to go to a different glassing spot. And we stopped the truck and we're watching these cows and a couple of raghorns, you know, kind of trot off into this timber. And I just happened to look out the windshield and I see like five just giant racks cruising the hilltop. Like they're, they're running from something, maybe another hunter or something. And, uh, I told Mateo was my guide's name. I said, Hey, I said, there's some bulls right there. And he gets on him. He goes, Oh yeah. He said, the, the two front ones are definitely shooters. Let's get after them. So we get out and uh, have basically just enough time to set the gun up and the lead bull stops. And he takes half a second, looks at it and said, that's a shooter. Take him. And so I, I, I mean, it happened so fast. I, the FTS actually didn't capture the first shot. So, I mean, it took less than a second and a half for me to get that gun up flip the safety off and squeeze the trigger the first time. And the, the footage starts right after that first shot. And the bull took that bullet. But, but I got to, I got to interrupt you real yeah, quick. Go ahead. You don't have to worry because there's more shots coming. That's all I want to oh, say. 100%. <laughs> so <laughs> more on the 600 club later. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. You didn't miss anything. There's no to be continued or anything. So, so yeah, so the, the footage starts after the first bullet flew for sure. And I'm shooting a new gun this year. It's a Weatherby 65 by 300. It's a freaking screamer round, um, 140 grain bullet. And uh, anyway, it, it hits him. We hear it. Sounds like a great hit. The guide says you hit him good. He said, load another one. So I racked another one in and the bull stood there for about five seconds. And he said, hit him again. So I, I pulled the trigger a second time, hit him right about the same spot. And uh, this time the group of bulls kind of took off running through the trees and we had to kind of make a mad sprint to get out ahead to a couple different openings in the trees. And he said, if we can get him to stop in here, he said, hit him again, if he's still moving. So I, I got down prone, the bull stops right between these two cedars and there's some good footage there. I actually, it was a pretty thin foliage cedar tree. And I, the only shot I had to get him again, and then he, the guy told me to shoot through that tree if I had to, um, just to get him because these animals are just so tough. I mean, it's, I've never, I've hunted elk a lot so far over the last couple of years, the first couple of years living in a state that has them. And I've just never got an opportunity to, to hit them, but they are an absolutely tough animal. You can tell they just take it with stride and, you know, you got to just basically keep shooting until they drop. And I mean, and, and Jeremy can attest this, they really don't leave. I mean, yeah, I hit them good on four shots and everybody's elk this year, you know, from this hunt, same story. They don't really leave blood trails up. Yeah, no, they don't, you know, the, there's a, there's a reason that guys use, uh, you know, bigger guns to shoot elk and, and, you know, that's a delicate balance, I think, to, to get a gun that you can shoot and shoot well, but uh, have enough powder and a big enough bullet to, to poke big holes in them, you know, it doesn't do you any good if you're flinching so bad that you're, you're missing or, or, or pulling the, off a target, but at the same time, you want to, you want to take and hit them and, and make them go down. 
yeah show yeah for sure and so you know and then this bull was no different i mean there was like a couple spots of blood on his tracks until where he was laying um but anyway so i, I got him a third time and then i end up putting a fourth shot on him as well and and then he finally uh, the bulls kind of took off running again so he still is on his feet and he just didn't come out of the trees that the rest of the bulls came out of and so we knew he was in there and uh yeah walked up to him and it was one of those experiences i and the guy kept asking me he's like are you happy with him are you happy with him i'm like i don't know what he's used to if guys are jumping around hooping and hollering or what i remember just taking a look at that thing and the size of him laying on the ground the size of his rack and just it was kind of a surreal experience you just i really didn't know how to feel about it because it you know i've been thinking and obsessing about this for two years now and never gotten a chance to get an elk i haven't even shot an elk and uh, to actually have one on the ground and be a bull of that caliber was just uh really really cool so it took a while for you i'm still it's still sinking in right now i mean you know five six days later or so um just really yeah. or seven days later i guess but either way it's definitely cool dropped him off the taxidermist and uh and i will say that i, I was lucky though i'll say I, i'm lucky because that was an hour into the hunt and we we got him loaded up got back to camp and we were the only ones that had gotten an elk that morning and uh but jeremy again he said he's fiercely competitive yeah. i think what happened with jeremy's hunt was that he he saw the size of my bull and he said, man, I've got to get one bigger than that. I've got to get one bigger than that. So I'll let you take over now and tell your story. Cause it took you a few more days to finally get yours. Hey guys, Aaron here with Praying and Slaying Podcast and Light the Fire Outdoors. I just wanted to remind you that you can find all the Praying and Slaying Podcast episodes hosted at lightthefireoutdoors.com, as well as the places that you love to listen to them uh, for your podcasts. While you're at lightthefireoutdoors.com, be sure to check out our video series. You'll find most of the videos there from the stories that you're hearing here on Praying and Slaying Podcast, as well as previous episodes before we started the podcast there, and all the Light the Fire Outdoors content. We've also got blog content from several different writers who are uh, use the outdoor lifestyle, hunting, fishing, that kind of thing to bring uh, the message of God to you and uh, and kind of spread their faith message that way. That's really cool. And then while you're there, check out the Light the Fire Outdoors shop. We've got swag items. We've got books. We've got all kinds of cool stuff there. We'll be adding more as we keep moving this train along. Uh, and all the proceeds um, from those items does go back to conservation. It goes back to spreading the godly fire there. And it also goes back to veteran support causes as well. Three things that are near and dear to our heart here at Light the Fire Outdoors. And we want to do our part to give back. And by supporting us, you can support those things as well. Thanks again, guys. Let's get back to the episode. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so we went out the first morning right out the gate coming out of camp. I had a handful of coffee and everything else. And right next to the timber, there was four bowls and there were some shooter bowls in there, but we didn't get out and get ready early enough. And, and, uh, so they disappeared on us, but I was like, man, this is going to be great. We we're seeing elk and, and they're all over the place. Um, so we went out to the North end of the ranch and we were watching sagebrush flats where these elk go out in the nighttime and, uh, hang out. And then they come back in and, uh, and in the morning. So they go out during the night to feed and such stuff and then come back and timber up during the day. So, um, so we went out and spent a lot of time on, on spotting scopes. We got to play with the spotter LR uh, cameras from Tacticam and, and get a lot of good footage of bulls a long ways away. Um, and we saw some smaller bulls. We just didn't really see anything to shoot at. So um, 
you know, we did see one, uh, as, as our guide Donnie said, a big yellow school bus is what we're looking for. Um, <laughs> uh, so we did see one big yellow school bus coming across the, the prairie and he was going and, you know, he had his head, head held high, his chin up and he was running. So, um, he took and actually went, went by our other party, never stopped. He was a decent five point bull, I guess, but he just headed to the timber and never stopped. So, uh, so after that experience, we just took and, uh, went back to, to camp and, and looked at Aaron's bowl and, uh, watched the guys hang it up, skin it out, split it, split it down the middle, which is kind of something I'd never seen done before. They split it like a beef. So you can take and, and cut up and get your bone in ribeye and, and your steaks and stuff like that. So that was kind of something interesting. Yeah. Um, definitely. It was a cool, cool method for sure. Yeah. Did you take and save any of bones in your steak when you, you yeah. cut yours up, finish cutting yours up? Okay. I yeah. did. I did. Yeah. yeah. I've got a, uh, I got some neck roasts that have some loin on them and, and some that has a good meat. Those are all in the bone. I've got, uh, I was telling my wife, I came in, so I started on it um, the day after we got home and I got about halfway through the, smallest cooler i had three coolers a 60 quart 75 quart and an 80 quart all jack full of meat and um the first cooler i started on was a 60 quarter and i got halfway through it that night and uh i had 24 pounds of hamburger i had eight two eight pound slabs of ribs and uh about three and a half pounds of steak and that was half of my smallest cooler so uh <laughs> definitely uh an experience for sure just amount of meat but yeah we got so i got ribs on the bone with some brisket on with some of those and then I've got some necrosis to still have the bone in on them. And I think I'm going to leave the kind of like you were talking about those back shanks. I think I might just leave the halves that we cut on the bone actually. Cause yeah. we cut them in half to kind of fit the whole hind quarter and the 80 quart, the two hind quarters and the, the top shanks that you had to leave the carcass tag with. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, so that was day one. So that was, you know, pretty eventful for Aaron and a little uneventful for me. Um, <laughs> no shortage of, so then, so then we moved into day two and uh, uh, got up and, uh, you know, took and uh, went out for a hunt. You actually came with us that morning. I did. If yeah. I remember, right? Yep. And so. Yeah, you, Ben, so and we uh, had, Mateo and Donnie. Yep. So there was there was five of us, right? Yeah. Shoot. Um, And so we went out and, and went towards the south end of the ranch where Aaron shot that bull the day before and we actually woke up to snow so it was snowing we were a little worried about visibility and everything else mm -hmm. but we came out and uh uh we're heading down this timber road kind of up above where Aaron shot his shot his elk and saw two bulls in a or was it yeah it was two bulls and then there was also a cow uh further down the meadow if I remember right yeah I think there are two um, two bulls up in tighter to the timber and then two cows down lower yeah yeah and they were about 850 yards away when we stopped. So Ben got out with the guide and made a stock and ended up uh, shooting this bowl. And, and it was a pretty nice six point. Um, I don't know that it was Go ahead. bigger than your bowl. I think, I think your bowl was still the biggest trip of the, or bowl of the trip at that point. Yeah, I think Wasn't so. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. different, a little bit different antlers going on. Mine had, uh, you know, mine was a five by six. His was a six by six, and uh, I bet the tines were on mine were quite a bit longer. Just totally, totally different shape of the rack. It was really cool. Yeah, and if I remember right, so, uh, he, Ben was shooting three hundred grain bullets, and I think he shot twice. 
Yep, three hundred grain ball. It's got twice yeah. to kill it. So, so that's six hundred grains. So, yeah, yeah. And I think one hundred and fifty times four is six hundred grains. Six hundred grains. Yeah, not yeah. yeah that's, so, that's good math. So we're keeping our average at six hundred grains per L. <laughs> um, so, so that's good. So, so yeah, that was good. And then, and then we uh, we took and got to to Ben's bowl and, and got some good footage, which hopefully you'll be seeing. And, and, uh, and then, uh, took in, uh, uh, had a pretty good, good experience there and took some pictures. And then we went out and saw if we could find another bowl for me. And we didn't end up seeing anything at that point. I don't think. Um, so we headed back to camp, got breakfast, retrieved Ben's bowl and, uh, and hung around for our evening hunt and then evening time we went out and did you go with us in the evening that evening or not? Uh, not that that evening i actually stayed back because my bullet had all day to chill and it was pretty cold um yeah or, you know basically yep. a day and a half close to it to chill and so i actually stayed back to cut my bowl up that evening yeah that's right so so aaron was cutting meat and so we went out and uh we went to look at this, uh, another part of the property called the mountain and we're glassing, uh, from uh, quite a ways away. And we see some elk that are coming down and just make a move on them. And so we go, um, uh, approach the, the mountain get to a place where we can have a little bit of a hike and start hiking in. And it's, uh, all oh, probably 45 minutes of shooting left. The, sun's just starting to go down over the over the mountain behind us and we get in move into position and uh we we located these elk in a meadow and they were coming out you know and there was timber all the way around the meadow and they were coming downhill to come out into the big opening so so we went to the edge of the big opening parked the vehicle and started hiking in through the timber well we took and we got to where we could see that meadow and the elk were no longer there um so we could hear elk in front of us, but the wind was blowing out of the south and we didn't want to, we wanted to gain some elevation to try and find where these elk had gone. But if we kept going forward, we would have taken in and had the wind and blown these elk uh, out of their potential. So we cut back around towards the truck and kind of looped around to the north a little bit and up the slope. And lo and behold, then we saw this bull feeding there. So the guide looks at the bowl. He's like, that's a good bowl. I pull up, I look at the bowl and I said, well, that doesn't look like that great of a bowl. I said, are you sure? He doesn't look very big. And the guy pulls his binoculars back up and says, oh yeah, that's a good bowl. We need to shoot that bowl. And I said, okay, well, you look at a lot more bowls than I do. So let's make it happen. So we were kind of in a little open clearing and I didn't have a real good path where we were at. Uh, the sagebrush was maybe two or three feet tall. So we looped around to go towards this tree and the bull was at 350 yards, had no idea we were there. Got to the tree, shut up, and I actually took and pulled out my bipod, fully extended it, and rested the back of my gun on my on my mystery ranch pack there. And I was watching the bull. Well, he was behind this pile of brush, and I didn't want to shoot through the brush and have have uh, my bullet hit a limb or something and end up wounding the bull. So yeah, definitely. So I was waiting. For, I was waiting for him to pop out and uh looking at him and then the guide he's just about to clear the brush i need about one more half a step and i've got his vitals out from behind this uh this dead tree there and the guy says dog i think he's got a broken horn 
And I said, you got to be kidding me. So I pulled up and I looked at it. Well, it turns out what I what we think happened is when I first pulled up on him, I was looking at his broken side and the guide was looking at his non-broken side. And <laughs> that was the difference so, of opinion. Yeah, so that was the difference of, of a marginal bull and a shooter bull. So then the, the guide says, well, you take and, and you want to shoot, you, you know, he says, okay, there's another bull with him. And there was three bulls together. And the second bull was a small six point. And the guides were like, well, uh, you know, do you want to, why don't you shoot that bull? Well, of course not. Second bull's behind a patch of timber. Well, and I just got done looking at this giant who's got a broken beam. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I want to shoot that smaller bull. And so I kind of went back and forth with my guy. I said, are you going to be mad at me if I don't shoot this bull? Because here you put me on a bull and 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 I don't know pull the trigger. And he said, no, no, it's your hunt. Whatever you want, what what you want to do, that's, that's your choice. I'm here to do it. But he said, make a decision because we want to get out of here and have the wind switch and blow these elk out of here. Um, so hurry up and make a decision if you're going to shoot or not. Plus, we were running out of daylight. So I decided I wasn't going to shoot. So we took and ended up heading back to the back to the truck and heading out of there. And uh, hashtag got perks. Right, platinum perks, <laughs> and headed back to camp. Well, it was an awesome experience. Everybody, I mean, I was stoked because I was 350 yards from elk, and it's uh, honest to God, the first time I ever passed up a bull elk, let alone two of them. Yeah. You know? So, so we're heading back to camp and, and, you know, have a couple people are asking me why I didn't shoot. I think it was, it was a unique, you know, uh, experience for sure. But I think all in all a positive one. Oh, for sure. Um, but you can't, you can't but, come back to camp bullless when you had an opportunity and not expect people to razz you a bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, well, and I think so, you know, everybody that was there that was hunting, uh, you were the only person who's actually ever killed an elk previously. So, you know, again, you know, any of us were just, I mean, it was just being that close period to elk and, you know, you're not judging them. You're letting the guy that says, shoot, you shoot. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the guy who was like, I don't know if that's big enough to shoot, you know. Um, And it paid out. It paid off for you anyway, because you had, uh, what, you know, day four pass, nothing. And we got down to the wire. And then, uh, then what happened on day five? So the last day of the season, we took and and uh, spotted these elk eight miles away uh, in the big flat off the north of the ranch, and there was two bulls, and they started coming in, and it was fairly cold that morning, so they were a little running behind. So we ended up watching them for about, oh, I don't know, two hours maybe, as they're working their way back to the timber. And we got to a point where we could cut them off, and we're looking at them, and there was one pretty good bull in there um but unfortunately he he had a broken horn and this horn was this antler was broken off at the base so he had had a six point side coming out on his left side and nothing on his right side and he was definitely Um, a yellow school bus yeah he was definitely a big yellow school bus and he was with another bull that was um was a five point bull and you know, I'd say a big rag horn. I wouldn't say he's one of those giant, you know, 300-inch, five points you find. But, um, you know, but a, a bull elk, uh, bull elk either way, you know. Yeah. So we ended up taking and heading off and, and going through the uh, through the timber a little bit to cut them off once they finally got to about, oh, 2,000 yards away. We said, oh, we think that they're going to take and enter the timber over here. So we took and 
went up over the draw and threw some scattered timber out to the end. And, and the guide asked me, he says, how close do you want to shoot him? And I said, well, um, I said, as close as you can get me. And, and I'll preface that by saying I was my, my custom 338 Lapua by, made by uh, Eric Miller out of, out of Jordan, Montana, AEM Precision. It's an absolute hammer and killer and, and had my Attaball Apex scope on it. And that <laughs> rifle has been very to me. I've killed a lot of elk with, uh, uh, at long range with it, or a lot of animals, I guess. I've only had it a couple of years, but I've killed multiple animals over 700 yards, and I, my longest was a cow elk at 964. So, um, you know, so we had a little bit of wind. It wasn't very windy and we're going through and the, and the guide gets a thousand yards away and he's so there at a thousand, you want to shoot him? And I said, well, I said, if we can get closer, let's get closer. You know, um, I felt like they were definitely in the capability of, of a thousand yards, but, um, there's no reason to make a, a longer shot than I have to. Definitely. Um, so we, we were able to continue to close the distance and we got to, to the end of the timber where it ran out and, and the elk were just at that point where they were about to get, start getting farther away from us instead of closer. Uh, they were kind of parallel in the timber at that point in time. And so the guy says, well, I think that's as close as we're going to get. And, uh, um, Mateo took and, and had my range finder. So he ranged it for me, said 640 yards or 649 yards, I think, and dial up 3.2 mils. So, I uh, got down in a stable position, uh, bipod on the front, and I actually was kneeling because I had to get above the sagebrush, and I put the, the butt of my rifle right on my knee, uh, lined her up and torched one off, um, and it ended up hitting a little bit low. And looking back at the FTS footage, I was actually holding on the, uh, the lower part of the elk, but I was definitely on fur. So the guide says you're a little bit low. So I brack another round in and I raise it up to my crosshairs about mid body and shoot another one. And he said, you're still low. And, uh, and so then I put another shell in and I raise it up and give it about a one mil holdover and shoot and hit the thing. Just, just drill this out. Center punch. Center punch. I haven't seen the spotter LR footage, but I'm hoping we can see see the impact like we saw with Ben's bull there. Yeah. But uh, but we took and uh, center punched him, and he started heading heading off, and he ran maybe I don't know thirty yards, and then t- turned direction, got stiff legged, and hung his head in the uh, hung his head in the ground, and and just locked up and. So I asked the guide, I'm like, you need me to shoot again? And he's like, well, no, he's going down. That's a good hit. So I was like, okay. And then, you know, after about 30 seconds, which seemed like about five minutes, <laughs> he still hadn't fallen down. And the guide's like, why don't you set her punch him again? I said, yeah. I said, I always, I've been telling the guys all week that, I'm, you know, you shoot an elk until it's, its nose is in the dirt. So I took and at that point in time, I had a uh, cedar tree in front of me, so I couldn't shoot it because uh, the elk had moved off and put that tree between him and myself. So I moved over about five yards and, and got settled down, relined up and torched another one off and just, just drilled him center, punched him, flipped him up backwards, uh, walked up to him. He was actually had his chin up in the air, the horns down on the ground, uh, 100% dead. So, um, 
so we took and and headed down and and uh went to retrieve him and and uh the the rest of the party came up they had to gather up and get back in the vehicles and gather their spotter lrs and all that good stuff but uh but we was able to look at him and we could actually see where the bullet went through him where he was standing where the bullet hit the dirt behind him and uh and the the trail of blood coming out both sides and his nostril or nose i mean you could just see it pouring pouring out three three blood trails to track him the 35 yards so yeah um that that was pretty cool to see on the on the snow that was you know a day or two old and uh so then we took some pictures did an interview and uh and headed back to camp and that evening aaron and i boated boned him out and loaded him up and and uh got up the next morning and headed to montana yeah so. no, definitely a definitely an awesome opportunity a really cool hunt and you know as far as being the uh the you know what you had to do to get there and you know all all said and done and every the story told what your uh final verdict was being was working as hard as you did to hit platinum was it worth it oh 100 <laughs> percent. you know i mean it, and some guys listening to this might say why does a guy go from ennis montana to to new mexico to hunt elk and and in all honesty the the guy asked me that as soon as i got there and he said why why are you coming from montana to hunt elk and i said well there's nothing better than hunting elk in my i mean it's just you know the best the best opportunity possible and oh, yeah. and uh and my the best animal to hunt there was some whitetail guys there saying they'd rather hunt whitetail than elk and i think they might be a little bit crazy or something but oh they have you to know. be but I, I haven't hunted whitetail like they have either. So, you know, maybe maybe it's a little bit different. And I have a screw loose because I'll hike around the uh, around the hillside trying to uh, find a saddle horse with horns or something on it. Or well, that big yellow school. Yeah, absolutely. In, in whitetail hunting and growing up in Iowa, I mean, it's it, they're totally different animals. Not the animals, literally, but the game of hunting elk and hunting whitetails is just totally different. Um, you know, and when, you're, when you live out there, it's, you know, I, maybe I haven't had the opportunity to hunt elk enough yet, but I mean, you can, you can find a bull every year, but he might not be there every year. Um, you know, in certain right. spots, you know, they kind of, they, they migrate, they cruise, they, you know, they've got sp- places they like to be, but not a, every year you're going to track that same animal all the time. I think the difference there is guys get obsessed with uh, building a relationship around a certain deer. And that's kind of the whitetail, the magical whitetail experience is, Oh, I've seen this deer for five years. I've watched him grow up. You know, I know exactly what he's going to do when the wind's playing this and doing X, Y, and Z. And you go out there and ever all the conditions finally line up, the stars align, and you take him. So I think that's that's kind of the allure to it. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun, but for a guy like you and, and having now to had the Western experience for a few years under my belt, I, I don't think I'd ever trade mule deer, elk, or even whitetail hunting out here. It's just so much different. I mean, you can spot and stalk and move around. And it's more, yeah. more adventure to it, I would say, than, you know, the, the tree stand, the, the typical tree stand ground blind type hunting you would do in the Midwest. And not that there's anything I would take away from those. I love doing that as well, but just totally different. I just, you know, now that I've gotten a chance to taste this a little bit, it, this is kind of what gets my blood boiling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we had an experience a couple of years ago during our tree season without bugling and that's close. And that's a whole different, that really oh, gets the blood. Dude, right. you want to talk about a, you can, any, any time you go to get an animal, I mean, the adrenaline gets going, you start shaking, but 
like Jeremy said, we went archery hunting. Uh, was it last year? Not this last night. I think one before. Yeah, 2019 hunting season. Yeah, 2019 season. He, uh, him, and his buddy Justin, we went out for three days to hunt um, elk, and uh, up kind of closer to where I live. And on one of the days, Jeremy was down and out, kind of felt sick, and so he stayed back at camp. And I went out with Justin, and we ended up on top of this mountain with a bull that walked into 40 yards, and uh, I couldn't even tell you what his rack looked like to be honest with you. Because I remember I kept looking at his hindquarter and thinking. Oh my God, if he shoots this or I shoot this, we've got to get this thing out of here. <laughs> but I mean, my knees are about to buckle and I, I made the mistake of actually just strapping my back or my bow to my backpack because we were taking a water break and just happened to run into him. And uh, so I didn't yeah. even have an opportunity to shoot and I was shaking so hard. I thought I was going to fall over standing on my feet. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely gets the, those doggone wapiti. They get the elk, or they get the bull. <laughs> Well, for sure, man. Sure. Well, congratulations on the bowl. I mean, that's uh, in the hunt in general, man. You you definitely more than earned your trip down there. And um, it was awesome to be a part of your first ever, well, your first ever uh, platinum trip or whatever. But uh, the first platinum hunt yeah. in general is just really cool to be a part of that with you. Um, and then for, for the listeners, you're going to get used to hearing Jeremy. Um, we've made a lot of game plans coming back for the praying and slaying podcast and, uh, definitely a regular part of it is going to be Jeremy and I, we're going to try to get out here and get you guys some content at least every other week. And, um, but yeah, I know Jeremy's got a, a sales meeting he's got to get to now, so I don't want to hold him up for that and, uh, we'll let him get after it, but we had to have him share his story so we can get that to you this week and, um, and be ready for more because Jeremy's ready to rock and roll. I'm ready to rock and roll. We're ready for a, a bigger, batter praying and slaying 2021 for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you, much, Aaron. And, and uh, like you said, I got a meeting to get to, so I'm going to roll, but I sure appreciate uh, all the driving you did, all the, all the help you did to help me get to platinum and all the great conversation for, you know, 40 hours of driving <laughs> from here back, back. or, or uh, that it might not have been quite 40, but 30 for yeah, sure. 30 so. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Man. Well, no, no, it was my pleasure and it was awesome to be a part of it with you and then to, go from start to finish, you know, this, the road to platinum was a real deal. We got there and you got to finally get the icing on the cake now with this outcome. So very, very cool, man. We'll take care of yourself, drive safe to your sales meeting and we'll, uh, we'll chat at you later. Alrighty. Thanks Aaron. All right, Have a yep. good day. Hey, well- So there you have it, guys. That was uh, Jeremy Chavilacek, Platinum Tax Camp team member, one of the newer hosts on the Praying and Slam podcast. Like I said, get used to hearing his voice and and hearing stories from him. The guy is a wealth of knowledge about hunting and just a great, great all-around guy. Um, but this should help us bring some more content on a regular basis to you guys as well. Having extra people in here, we got all conflicting schedules and don't even get me started when hunting season comes. We've all got our own agendas and everything else. So with that, I hope you had a very, very Merry Christmas and a safe and happy new year to each and every one of you guys. And we look forward to bringing you um, a lot more in 2021. Like I said, we're going to, our goal is every other week with you. And uh, I know Jeremy and I are going to be recording as much as we can get John on here as well when he has time and uh, bring you a lot more hunting and a lot more praying and slaying stuff here. Um, to come. So with that guys, be sure to go over to lightthefireoutdoors.com. All the Praying and Slaying podcast episodes are hosted there. There's a lot of other stuff you can enjoy for content from Dean Holes. He's an outdoors uh, ministry writer 
and uh, just a great guy. I, I put some stuff on there as well, looking to expand that this year and just all kinds of cool stuff and all the praying and slaying videos and light the fire outdoors videos will be hosted there as well. So with that guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.